This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. And we are also kind of reorganizing, reshaping. I don't know what you want to call it, but we have got Grayson, my son here, is co-host today. Kyle has just not been able to catch a break for like the last six weeks. It's been flu. It's been RSV. It's been gallbladder extraction. He was in the emergency room for a couple of days with some some stuff. And so we can't put this thing on pause. So we got the third man in the octagon with us today, Grayson, and he's going to uh, help me interview our guest, who's somebody I've become good friends with over the course of the last couple of years. He's a member of Killing Commercial in the CBK family. And like many people, probably didn't expect to see himself in the insurance industry right about now, but it seems to be working out okay with him, for him rather. And I am talking about my man, Cody Houck from the great state of Arizona. What's up, Cody? What is happening, guys? How are you guys this morning? Good, man. Good. And you are Prime Insurance and Risk Solutions. Is that the official name? Did I get it right? Prime Risk Insurance Solutions. I, I knew it was the four words. I just, I'm going to take the box on the Quinella on that one and whatever, you know, but um, I, I I love it because our colors are very similar. So every time your stuff pops out, I think it's like one of my things and then I actually read it. So I tend to follow you a little bit closer than a lot of other people for that reason. But before we get cranked up too much, why don't you kind of give everybody your backstory and, and how you got to where you're at? I mean, because I know there's some some pretty unique circumstances there. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been in the industry about seven years now, came in as a producer um, under a captive agency and did really well there, but hit that year, year and a half wall that I've seen a lot of other people say they hit in that position and said, this sucks and I'll go back to what I was doing before and I uh, kind of went back to logistics and some other things and went and did that for a while and then hit that uh, rebound, I guess, spot that I've seen a lot of people talk about as well. Of You know what? Maybe that wasn't so bad. Let's go back and try that again. So uh, about five years ago, I went in, got into the independent world. I was managing a small brokerage here in, in Arizona. Uh, then COVID happened and hmm. that agency doesn't exist anymore. 
So I was kind of at the wall, man. Had a ton of options out there. Had 200 bucks in the bank. It was a pretty freaking scary time. And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and open my own agency in the middle of this pandemic and uh, all the uncertainty and having no idea how to do this. But, you know, 200 bucks in the bank. Why not? (laughs) Dude, if you'd had had 20,000, you'd have never done it. (laughs) No. But uh, dove in head first, man. and kind of winged it for a year. And the next year got connected with you at uh, the Better Agency Conference that year. And really been all uphill from there. It's been amazing being part of the CBK family and then having you as a mentor and everyone in the group. And uh, yeah, just been, been an incredible ride. So from my perspective, you're, there's an age gap between you and I, that's probably greater than the age gap between you and Grayson. Honestly, Um, (laughs) if I had to guess, how old are you? Uh, 36. Well, son of a gun, man. You're right in the freaking middle of the two of us. <laughs> like, literally, I turned 50. Yeah. He's turning 21 this next week. So you're, like, basically right at the midpoint. So that's actually kind of interesting because that's I feel like that's where I've been pretty much my entire professional career. I borrow a little bit from the older, a little bit from the younger, and, like, kind of make it my own. And, you know, I see a little bit of that in you. Honestly, that's kind of where I was going to go with this because one of the things that I really appreciate – and and I think that some of my peers are going to not not think the same way, but that's fine. I really don't care. But the younger generation tends to invest in themselves way more than my generation does. Like the guys, and you're a tweener, you know. But I, I, that's when I said I see you leaning more towards people Grayson's age, you know, investing in themselves from an education standpoint, not just. Not just from, you know, going out and paying people to coach you or being part of, of communities or things like that, but, you know, being on the webinars, getting the professional designations, um, learning from people outside the industry in addition to people inside the industry and just constantly wanting to become the absolute best version of yourself. Talk a little bit about that thought process, because from my perspective, you're spending a ton of money on Cody Hauk right now. You know, and I'll tell you what, the ROI on that has been more than worth it. I mean, I'm I'm well into five figures this year alone on coaching. Um just new coaching that I've invested in this year. And I mean, I've I've seen a five X on that investment just this year alone. And a lot of people are scared to take that leap. I mean, it was for me, it it was a scary as hell leap cutting a five figure check for for business coaching this year when you know I've got I've got to feed my family, I've got rent to pay, trying to grow the agency, et cetera. Um, but man, it, it it's just been, I, I can't express how much it's contributed to the growth this year. Well, talk a little bit about that. I mean, some of the stuff you're doing does look like it's not necessarily insurance centric. I mean, you've got a, a community that I've seen that you've been on, you know, podcast with, and that I constantly see you promoting. What, what has that done for you that has helped you in your insurance career? Yeah, I mean, all of the coaching I've invested in pretty much this year has been non-insurance specific, um, just been geared more towards sales, marketing, general sales and marketing. And honestly, I've I've invested in coaching from other industries that aren't just general. My My local business coach that I have here is a large contractor. I mean, they're doing they're doing million dollars a month in revenue. 
I think it's just a, a thing of surround yourself with people who are doing the things that you want to do, regardless of whether or not they're in your industry. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's definitely the case. So, Cody, besides the investments that you've made with the with the coaching, I can also tell just by following you on LinkedIn these last couple of months, it seems like you've invested a good amount inside of uh, your content. I see every single day you've got a new post up there. How has that kind of affected your growth since you've been doing that? You know, that was a huge springboard to a lot of these connections that I was able to make, man. Um, and it came from when I started doing the Dirty 130 earlier this year. Um, I, I really started pouring into that. And it was after 40, 45 days that really started to, to pay off and, and come to fruition there. And every day the phone was ringing with somebody. Hey, I I know we've never talked before, but I can't open my social media without seeing your face somewhere. So I think we should other <laughs> you know that's interesting and scary at the same time right because all that tells you is if you're out there people are going to follow you and reach out to you if you've got something that resonates with them you could be a complete hack i'm not i'm not alleging that's the case you know obviously but you know think about it man you, you could go out and and basically you could have imposters that are putting themselves out there as authorities on subjects they have no actual experience with and get people to follow them just based on social presence. So, I mean, when you actually do know what you're talking about, when your content actually does have a message in it that's impactful, you do start to see a return on that investment of your time and energy for putting it together. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, just speaking on that, I've I've tried to kind of caution myself to not go down that road of, of kind of talking above my head and getting myself into those positions to to be exposed about something that maybe I don't know exactly what the heck it is that I'm talking about. I try to keep my content basic, break it down Barney style, keep it, keep it at a third grade level that not only, you know, allows me to be proficient at what I'm talking about, but allows my prospects and those consuming the content to, to be able to digest it as well and it not blow over their head. Yeah, absolutely. That's one thing that I, I hear from a lot of, prospects that come in to be clients is that I've been able to convey those things in a way to them that they've never understood before because people do kind of take that at a master's level conversation and and blow it over their head sometimes. So how are you able to balance both the social media, the content, you know, trying to educate people on on your experiences while also maintaining enough time to sell and grow? That was where the struggle and everything really started to, to come in the last, I'd say, 60 days is trying to balance all that, um, try, trying to keep my time blocking on my calendar straightened out. And where I really found that everything was falling short was in my outbound prospecting was what was always taking a hit because I had new accounts coming in, obviously, yeah, as a as a one-man shop for most of the time up until recently, I've had to balance it all. And I've done most of that myself. So it was the outbound sales that were really starting to take a hit the last 60 days. And I noticed the pipeline getting empty. And I've, I've been talking with, with David here about uh, the services at Savital for a couple of months now. Um, and we've kind of been going back and forth on that. And finally, they had some some appointment setters ready over there. And I jumped on board with that a few weeks ago and that's really helped free me up to one, get back to regularly posting content, but two, focus on my higher level ideal clientele and really pour into that a little more than 
the the cold outbound activity. And I'll tell you what, man, that is starting to pay off in a big way really, really fast. Easy. Don't set expectations too high. (laughs) No, I mean, I think I think that speaks to what, you know, you and I talked about, too. When you reached out, I mean, this is something that we've talked about for a few years on the podcast. Now, we used to have Marvin, the Filipino wrecking machine that would just crush appointments. And when I became officially involved with Savitel, you know, obviously that was a conflict of interests to use a competitor. So we moved over to Savitel and really focused on building a product for appointment setters for commercial insurance specifically that would yield results, man. And I feel like we've done a decent job, but to your point, I think one of the reasons why you're getting good results now is because you took my advice and waited until we actually had somebody instead of trying to bring somebody in and form them into that role. We want them to go through a general training process and have them understand the workflows of that, what it looks like and everything else. But, you know, for me, the way that morphed in our agency really had to do with COVID and the fact that we couldn't be out doing cold call marketing drops anymore combined with the fact that we were getting hammered with venture capital picking up some of the service contractors and we were losing revenue. And unlike a lot of other agencies, most other agencies out there, we didn't have that base of personal and small commercial that we could fall back on because I've only ever done middle market. So we had to figure out how we were going to do that. And I don't ever want an appointment setter being responsible for calling the leads that my middle market producers have flagged for them already in the CRM. I want the producer in that relationship. The producer wants to be in that relationship. Doesn't mean that the cold caller is not capable of making those calls. I'm just telling you, that's my personal belief. What we wanted to do was have them blanket all of this stuff that we didn't already have assigned to a producer to make sure we were getting touch points on things we wouldn't be able to touch anyhow. And it was worth the investment for me to just make sure we were canvassing everything that way. And so when we, when we first started doing it, um, you know, one of the best things we did is we ran the first three VPs from Savitel through Chris Beal's flight school, which, you know, if you're listening to this podcast for any length of time, then you've heard Chris on the podcast. And if you were uh, in one of our quarterly boot camps, he's done that a couple of times as well, but he's one of the foremost experts on telemarketing for the insurance industry. So these people are getting really, really good training, you know, the the first three. And we did that for a train the trainer type thing. So now we have a process when we bring people in that have some level of experience on the phones, they can get run through and kind of know pretty much what they need to do. Here's the thing though. And I'm interested in your feedback on this because I'm not going to sit here and tell you that every single uh, VP caller that we've put in an agency has worked flawlessly. I can tell you of two instances, and it's the only two that I'm aware of where it didn't work. And here's the thing. I need everybody to understand. It doesn't matter which VA company you use. These people still need some level of training and interaction. This is not a plug and play thing. Nothing is. You're not, if you were to bring a dialer in to work in your office, are you just going to put them in the back office, shut the door, never listen to them, hope for the best? Probably not because you're going to see them coming in every day. You're going to know you're paying them every day and you want to see that you're getting appointments booked as a result. So 
you know, one of the pieces of advice I have for anybody listening to this is if you bring a dialer in, regardless of where it comes from, obviously we would love to have you um, use a Savitel dialer. We feel that they're a little bit above um, what you would get anywhere else, but you know, we're a free market economy. There's choices out there, but whatever you do, you have to interact. You have to have a process. You have to have an idea of, you know, scripting, you know, we provide them with some stuff, but you got to tailor it to your geography, your client mix and all of that. You have to have the ability to listen to their calls, congratulate them when they do right things, which is as equally as important as, you know, redirecting them when you want them to move a different direction. You know, maybe they're, the calls are a little choppy or whatever else. So, you know, I, I just think that it's it's not that it's a, a completely hands-on thing, but for at least the first several weeks, you've got to ha have involvement. And the other thing is you got to be able to give them a leads list. You know, now for us, I don't know how you're doing it. And I know I just said a lot of things, so you can give me your random thoughts here in a second. But one of the cool things we've done is we just, when I bought Leo, that's who uses it. They're actually creating their own call lists using Leo. And then they're putting the information into HubSpot as they're calling. But that's been a game changer too, because, you know, usually it was a roadblock that one of us would have to sit down, take the time, put the list together or export a list out of HubSpot, get it over, make sure that they understand what it means to clean it up. Now we were able to just give a few really quick uh, recorded trainings on it. And, you know, the only time I have interaction where I have to actually do something for them, other than my normal routine of listening to calls every week is that sometimes I have to give them the multi-factor code because it comes to my cell phone. That's it. Um, and it, so it's been really slick. The other thing we did is as COVID went away, we started raising the level of the accounts that they were talking to. We started changing the search parameters and I didn't tell them. I didn't tell them because I didn't want them to um, get freaked out that now all of a sudden you're calling stuff that's 250,000 in premium versus 25. Not that they would ever even know but it's a different convert, a little bit different conversation. And I wanted to see how it went. Well, let's just say it's a good idea to let them know they're calling a different, a different group. Okay. It didn't work like I thought it would. I was, I was trying to, I, I don't want to say trick, but I guess that's what it is. Just trick them into calling middle market companies too, without them knowing it. And it turns out you can't, you can't necessarily do that because the results started to drop. And it wasn't that it doesn't work in middle market. It's just that you're when you're calling small commercial in a hard market, 100% of the people are shopping. Like legitimately, they're shopping to save 10, 20 bucks. So of course, if I don't put a, a floor to the revenue on what they're calling, everybody's going to want an appointment at that point. So they were, they were racking up huge numbers of appointments, which is good because I wanted them to get reps. When we moved them upstream, instead of getting those three to five and sometimes even seven to 10 appointments in a day, they went down to one or two and now they started getting in their head because they didn't understand the difference. And so I had to tell them because I didn't want them being down on themselves that, Hey, by the way, this little structure that we put where if you hit a 50 appointments in a month, we give you a bonus. I had to re revamp all of that because the revenue per accounts higher, the results are going to, the yield is going to be lower, but the ultimate revenue that we can generate is actually much, much higher because when these people are taking appointments, this is what we do now. We really can go in and talk about things from a total cost risk standpoint because this is our targeted client at this point. So it's been interesting just to sort of see that transformation and journey, but why don't you just talk a little bit about how, and I know it's not been a huge amount of time, but I mean, you've gotten some pretty quick success. Talk a little bit about 
how that's worked and how you've managed things to this point and anything that you've, you, you've had to tweak or change based on um, just what you've seen so far. Yeah, one, I'm glad I'll say that I'm glad that you just went and and kind of laid out what you've done as you've graduated them up to calling those bigger accounts, because I was personally wondering how to handle that as I'm bringing my guy along to call the bigger accounts. Um, but I, I've taken essentially the same approach as you have. I mean, I, I just pulled lists off of off of X dates from my target industries that I wanted and the the minimum company size that I wanted them calling Um which for me right now, I've got, I don't have him really calling on anything. that's going to be less than 2,500 in revenue. So, I mean, if the guy sells one account, he's paying for himself for the month. So, you know, we've got, we, we've got real good ROI on that right there. But I mean, I, I've taken that same approach you have. I, I, I knew that they were going to be using some form of the flight school script right off the bat. So I kind of let him do his thing for a couple of days and listened in on the calls and, and, kind of took a gauge of where he is and then now we're, we're doing some coaching calls a couple times a week like hey this doesn't really fit what we're doing here in the agency and i don't want to have to you know pull the bait and switch in the middle of a conversation that you've set the expectation this is what the meeting's for but this is what i really want to talk about um so we, we're, we're starting to do some more coaching on that i've sent him a couple personal scripts to start using um, hear from the agency that fit what I'm trying to do and the conversations I'm trying to have in that niche market and in that revenue level. Cause obviously we're not having that high level, uh, total cost of risk conversation with a $2,500 revenue <laughs> account. Right. Yeah, no, but I mean, it'll be interesting to see, you know, I'm always, so the, so the first line of defense, you know, not defense, but the first, first actions you have to take is get them started. Then you have to follow up, listen to calls, coach when needed, you know, congratulate a lot because yeah. I think that's really important too. But then once all of that happens and the appointments are getting booked, now you have to go back and give them feedback on the quality of the appointment you went on to. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's got to be a good appointment. You don't want them just booking appointments for appointment's sake. You want them booking stuff. You have a realistic opportunity of going in and having an actual conversation to be able to push the ball down the field a little bit. And I don't know how many appointments you've actually been on yet, but you know, that that's something you're going to run into, you know, being completely transparent. Sometimes they book the appointment and you know, next thing you know, it wasn't to your point, it wasn't necessarily what that prospect was expecting you were going to be talking about. And you got to go back and, and let them know, look, guys, you know, I understand you get bonus based on the number of appointments booked. You know, that's the structure that I set up internally. But now we've changed it to they got to be quality appointments or I'm just going to strike it. It's not going to count toward your towards your overall number. Not that we had a horrible problem with it, but, you know, anybody that's getting incentivized based on numbers is always going to put the hard clothes on. And I got it. You know, part of it too, is you've got to manage your own reputation in the marketplace. You don't want somebody making you look bad because they're overly aggressive in, in setting appointments. Yeah. And that's, uh, I've dealt with that a little bit early on. I mean, he's been calling for me for about two and a half weeks now. He set me seven appointments. Um, two of those I've had to strike and I went back and listened to the calls and, and they were, uh, suspect <laughs> whether, yeah. whether yeah, or not no, they should have been put on the ca the calendar so we you know we went back and, and scheduled a meeting and went through the recordings and like hey like at the end of this they said you know one of them was i i thought you were our current provider and you were wanting to set up a renewal review so and then no yeah. i'm not your current provider but i would like to set up a renewal review because that's how you keep your current provider honest yeah 
So we're, we're working through some of that, but you know, he's like legitimate appointments I've been able to have. I've had five and three of them have gone really well and, and are moving down the road. And those are going to be, you know, as of right now, it's looking about 13,000 in revenue on those three accounts in a month. And that's the whole thing, man. Like, let's just call it, I don't know what, what you pay, but I know on average it's, you know, somewhere 2,500 bucks a month, you know, something like that. And I, and that may include any kind of an incentive, but I don't know too many people out there that wouldn't pay 2,500 to get 13, five, you know what I mean? And I think that's something, you know, one of the things I find interesting about the younger generation, and I form a lot of my opinions, I know this is going to sound very, very deep. And Grayson, I want you to talk about this a little bit too, because it's really more your age group than it is mine. But I form a lot of my opinions off of what I see on Reels, man, what I see on Instagram, what I see on TikTok. What are these guys paying attention to? What are What's the messaging that's coming out from that generation in their content, right? And, you know, I'm seeing these people that are scaling businesses to a million, 10 million, even more than that when they sell. And the a lot of the premise is they don't have a problem outsourcing the things they're not 100% good at, right? And I think that's where a lot of people fall down. They want to be experts on everything, whereas it's even though your margin may drop a bit in terms of a percentage because you're having to you're you're outsourcing to other people your top line grows and your dollars of profitability grow and the most important thing is your work life balance is on point your time is freed up you can go do other things in addition to your primary occupation and you know i'm somebody who believes in side hustles man i have no problem with somebody having a side hustle i've always had a side hustle no matter what i was doing I had to do that because that's what allows me to scratch the entrepreneurial itch. When I don't have a side hustle, I'm miserable. I've got to have my fingers in a bunch of different stuff. And specifically because of my ADHD, I don't have a problem saying that's what it is. You know, and over the course of the last year, I've talked more and more about that. I think that a lot of times people use things like ADHD and OCD as a punchline to a joke or a sarcastic comment, but it actually is a real thing. And if you figure out how to channel it, you can get a lot of stuff done, man. You can really, you can really hone your craft. So it's interesting to me to see that the philosophy is actually, in my mind, a smart one and very sound thought process that, hey, we can go have five or different, five or six different things we're doing. We're going to manage all of it at a high level, but we're going to outsource a good bit of all of this to other people, let them do what they're the best at. And we're just going to sit back and collect money off the top of it. Well, and to- Two things that I'll hit on that real quick is one, you and I share that neurodivergent trait of ADHD, and that would also pull me off of sitting doing the cold outbound calls every day if something else would happen and it would completely throw me out of the game. So bringing in the dialer appointment setter to do that for me and make sure that one, that gets done every day and all those squirrels aren't flying everywhere. And to the outsourcing, that was a big thing. My business coach that I started working with this year just absolutely hounds on is stop giving up your $200 an hour time for $20 an hour tasks. Exactly. Quit being a cheap ass and pay somebody the 20 bucks an hour to get it done for you. So you can go make 200. Yeah. That's, I mean, and that's common sense, right? But that's something that I would argue the old guard hasn't figured out. You know, you know who I think my age probably has figured that out is good or better than anybody else. I would say is Billy Wagner. 
Billy Wagner is not, he knows what he worth, he's worth an hour. He knows what his tasks, you know, need to be. And he ain't doing anything at all that is not going to contribute to him at his normal hourly rate. He, I mean, this is a guy that did the calculations to figure out how much his time was worth that he was losing, shaving his face every day. And he just paid to have the, the hair lasered off his face. So he doesn't have to shave anymore. That story and, at age of success kind of blew me away here in that <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, that's taking it to a completely different level, right? But there is no doubt that Billy Wagner is getting the most out of every single day. And here's what you see about Billy on social. He's always with his kids. He's always with his wife. They're out on the boat. They're traveling. They're doing the things that we all want to do. And I think that's a big reason why. Grayson, I mean, what do you have to add to that? Let me prompt you a little bit. You and your yeah. buddies have some hot, some side hustle stuff you've worked on. Yeah. You follow some of these people on the internet. You know, I know for, for, you know, example that a lot of guys that are Grayson's age are following Andrew Tate, whether you like him or hate him, the guy's got a massive following and a good bit of what he says from a business standpoint makes sense. Why would you guys choose to go and invest in yourselves at 20 years old or 21 years old when you haven't even really hit your stride in your career yet? What, you know, what, what's the thought process behind that? Well, like you said, with Billy being out on the boat and, always spending time with his family and things like that. People my age that obviously don't have the type of family with multiple kids or houses or, you know, a boat or anything to do, but we definitely look at that and see us having that in the future. So we realize that now is the time to invest the time in yourself to obtain the skills that are going to make you money down the road. So that whenever you're in the position like that with having a family and, having all these things you want to do on your bucket list. When that time comes around, you'll have five, 10 years behind you already where you've already been putting that time into yourself. Yeah. I think that's interesting too, because I think the bucket list is a much more real thing for people in that younger generation too, man. Here I am 50 years old and I'm just now getting around to striking things off my bucket list that are of any consequence, right? In the last three months, I've been to Oktoberfest in Munich with Grayson. I've been to Alaska for nine days fishing with Grayson and Daniel Song and Aaron Robertson. Those are things that if I was a slave to my agency and my business, I never would be able to do. But there comes a time where you just have to be able to draw a line in the stand and say, look, I have to be able to do this stuff for my mental clarity and my mental sanity and be able to recharge in addition. And I know, you know, you've got at least one, you, you have one side hustle that I know about for sure. And that's guiding, you know, you're out hunting all the time, Cody. I mean, you're hunting insurance and risk management prospects. You're hunting big game out West. I mean, if you wouldn't be able to do that, if you didn't have things dialed in to a certain degree in the agency, but you know, I also have to believe that you do that to a, you have done that in the past to a certain degree to help get the agency off the ground. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it, it was a huge part of me being able to to even start the agency because when I decided to open the opportunity came up to get into the outfitting side of, of hunting. I had just been doing it for fun for a couple of years, but that came up and it really did help me bootstrap the agency from, from the ground up. Now has it caused some pain points over the last couple of years? Yeah. I mean, I've been, up until this year working, you know, doing that full-time six months out of the year and trying to run an agency six months out of the year. So sales would go on hold for six months. So that was another leap that we took this year was, was, you know, really dialing back the guiding and, and really kind of being a scary leap because that was six months out of the year. That was the income. So really having to kick things into high gear, pour fuel on the fire to, to pay bills for the next six months. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the other dynamic you have, and I don't, you know, we haven't talked about it recently, but it, it, the recent past, you know, your brother was getting involved with you a little bit too. Is he, is he going to stay in the agency and you guys build it together? What's that look like? Uh, that's still up in the air. Um, he came in a little bit and did some things and he's wondering if he's, he, he's still trying to figure out if he's going to be involved long-term on the, uh, on the day-to-day or we might carve out some things for him on the back end, but. Yeah. I was going to ask you about family dynamic. Cause I, ha- I happen to be an expert in that realm, both upwards and downwards <laughs> on the family tree. So uh, that, that can always prove to be an, an interesting, um, interesting thing to deal with. You know, you're in killing commercial, you're learning total cost of risk, completely foreign to what you did in a captive environment. Talk to me, you know, talk to me about what that changed. What is that transformation in thought process been like as far as you going from, Hey, I'm Johnny home and auto slinging quotes, hoping I bind at a decent percentage rate to really operating more like that hunting guide and targeting what you're going to go after and being more precise in your approach. It's taken some time for sure. I mean, I, I joined Killing Commercial last year and really that was my first exposure even coming into the commercial world. So a lot of what you were teaching and the things that we were talking about in there were like, whoa, way over my head. So now, you know, a year and a half later, investing in the education and things that I have on the insurance side and spending more time with you Man, I'll tell you what, it re- it really does just allow you to have another level of conversation and differentiate yourself from 98% of your competition out there because to walk into a prospect and a, a prospect's office or have the Zoom call or whatever and you know let them know, look, I, I'm not interested in quoting and trying to save you $5,000 on your premium. Like we can do things a lot different and make your business more profitable, not just save you five grand on your insurance. It really does get their ears perked up a little more. And I'm, I don't know how much you've dealt with it, but a lot of times it, it, it can throw some red flags to some prospects too, because no one's had that conversation with them before. And that's something that I've had to try to overcome is like, well, what are you even talking about? This has nothing to do with insurance and you're an insurance guy. <laughs> so trying to fight yeah. through those conversations sometimes is a lot of fun. <laughs> Yeah, no, it is because, you know, it goes back to something I talk about all the time. It's about the education, man. You know, if 98% of the people aren't doing what we teach, that means that you're going to have a good bit of education you have to do with that prospect to get them to understand why what we do is more important. And honestly, it's, it's pretty interesting that we're having this conversation because, I'm getting ready later today, hopefully, uh, when I'm wait, I'm anxiously awaiting it to come back from the graphics people, but we are fast and furious publishing our producer game plans for the producers that are inside Killing Commercial. And we're at a point now where you're going to be able to go out and we're going to give you a game plan, depending on what industry it is, that's going to allow you to formulate exactly what you need to ask what what you need to know before going in to a meeting with literally any industry that we have the game plan for the first one that i did was manufacturing because it's pretty broad but i mean it is really really interesting to see and it's not insurance man like we're sitting here looking at this thing 
And it goes into um, certainly an overview of insurance and risk management, but we're really breaking this thing down into a multi-pronged approach of physical risks, operational risks, environmental risks, professional and legal, financial, and reputational. And that's what we're going to focus on. And we have a series of risk management tactics that companies are using to combat these things, along with the questions you need to ask to find out whether or not this is happening. And if by asking those questions, you're going to drive wedges where things aren't happening. And then also comprehensive coverage checklists. These are the coverages you need to have in place or you should know to have in place along with the list of questions surrounding that. But then even further, you know, in this one specifically, when I built it, we cover all that stuff, but then there are a couple of really deep dive things that I know that the standard agent is not going to get into when they go out. So it's got like a 20 page appendix on supply chain management and all the risks associated with that. It's got another 10 or 15 pages on product recall specific to manufacturing. And I think, you know, if I hand that over to anybody, you know, granted, it's going to look a little daunting, you know, up front because it could be 50, 55 pages worth of stuff. But if you study that, you're never going to need it again. You know, if you if you study it a couple of good times and, and go through. The other thing is it's not designed for somebody to go in and ask every single question on a first meeting. It's for you to prepare, look at the research that you've done on your prospect like we teach, and then pull the, pull the questions out of the suggested list that you want to ask in your meeting. And then whatever you don't ask, earmark it for the next time or the time after that. You don't have to get it all answered at, at one time, but you know, I think that's going to be a, a massive game changer for our community. And my goodness, it's been something we've been working on kind of behind the scenes to figure out the layout and the format and what all do we want to include? What do we not want to include? But you know, I, you know, the bad part is I wish I had it for you a year and a half ago because I could have just handed it to you day one. But the good news is we have it now and we're going to build it across you know, all kinds of different industries first. And then we're going to get into deep dives into the risk management tactics across each of those. It'll be a supplement. And we're going to go into deep dives on the insurance. Like I want to do a producer game plan for product recall insurance to teach people on everything they need to know about it, because I think it's a very underserved coverage. It's not sold very often. And if it is, typically it's something that's an endorsement onto a regular policy that's only going to cover expense, but it doesn't do anything for the reputation. It doesn't do anything for business income. It doesn't do anything for the cost cost of quarantine or even destroy the product itself. And you got to get into that kind of stuff, man, because we're at a point right now in the in the economy where we have to educate people about risk first and then solve the problem however we're going to solve it. It may not be selling them an insurance product. It may very well be that it's putting a program in place or a process or a procedure. And you know, I want to make sure that we're equipping everybody in Killing Commercial to have those calls because, again, we're in a hard market. People are making decisions as to who they're going to go with, and now's the time to shine. This is when you're going to get the greatest audience of all time. It's not during a soft market, man. It's during a hard market. The cream rises to the top, and I feel like we're getting everybody positioned to be able to do that and you know, do that having some of the meetings they're having right now for the January renewals. Yeah, I'm just so glad that that's coming down the pipe because for me, I mean, I've I've gone in and done business consulting. I've done gap analysis on the operations side to help businesses become more efficient and, and increase profits through operations. But going in and having those insurance and risk management conversations to me was was foreign when I 
came and started doing this. And, you know, for a long time, I just completely shied away from it because much like the content thing, I didn't want to go in and start talking about things that were well over my head and get laughed out of a room. So that's the way I learn is how I feel you're putting these things together, like practical application. Here's where this would apply. Here's an example of when it would apply and and, and coverage would kick in. I mean, th- those things for me are just absolute huge tools. And I'm sure that I'm not the only one that feels that way. And it's going to benefit from, from those being put together. You just gave me a great idea, man. I should add claim scenarios to the mix. 100%. That's a practical application. So here we go. I've only changed it 10 times this morning. That's why it's not <laughs> done yet. But I may do I may do that as a supplemental guide or something for each one and leave that separate. Um but yeah, I mean I think it's re- I think it's really important in in again, it's it's going back to education. That's kind of been the theme of this, right? You're educating your clients, you're educating yourself, you're educating your prospects, you're educating your team, whether that be direct employees or or virtual. It it it's just that seems that's something that takes time. It takes time and effort, and that is what excludes people from doing it because they don't feel like they have the time. Why don't they have the time? You know the answer because they're wasting their two hundred dollars an hour doing twenty dollar an hour tasks. That's a different way of saying something I've said for a long time. People get so busy tripping over hundreds to get to singles. It doesn't make sense to me, right? You know, you have all this money in front of you, but you're worried about saving the dollar instead of saving the hundred. And that's really the conversation I have a lot of the time with people regarding total cost of risk, because they're worried about the insurance premium, when in reality, that's only a small slice of what you're paying in your overall risk management budget. Yeah. And that's, I mean, just the culmination of this year and the growth that I've experienced, I think that's been it is that is to not be afraid to spend money to get your time back Uh, in our industry. I mean, whether that be all of the the tech and automation and AI things that are coming out that, yeah, you got to spend some money for that stuff. But if you got to spend a couple hundred bucks a month to get 10 hours of your time back to go out and generate revenue, it's well worth the damn investment to me. Yeah. You see people is wasting money on a lot of stupid stuff. You know, when in reality, they could just funnel it to freeing up their own time. And that also helps them make better decisions because they're not pressed. Yeah. So, Cody, with the investments that you're making in yourself, you know, the time you're spending with the VP going over the calls and stuff, trying to correct that. And I also saw that you're looking for a producer. Where do you see your agency in the next year? Like, where do you see yourself in 2024? So David and I kind of text back and forth on this a little bit last week when my my VA started started getting his uh his feet under him making calls and setting appointments. I think that's going to be a sustainable model of growth to much like what David was talking about earlier like bring bring in one of these guys let them start working these X date accounts graduate them up to calling middle market and larger revenue accounts bring in a producer, assign them another VP because it, it, let's face it, the hardest people, the, the hardest job to fill in our industry is people want to get on the phone and, and make phone calls. I think that's going to be more attractive to producers. If you tell them I've got an appointment center that's going to handle all that for you, you need to go sell the damn account. So I think that's the model that we're going with 
moving forward, man. And I think that's really where I'm going to ramp up 2024 is bringing my guy along with me to start working my target accounts, bring in another producer, assign them a VP to start working these X date accounts, you know, $2,500 minimum revenue accounts and just start building a machine that way, man. I think that it's going to be highly profitable. And I think it's going to be intriguing to young producers coming into the industry that might shy away from the cold call outbound type things. I I, I think it's going to, I'm really excited about where it's going. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And and I mean, you've built the base at this point, man. The, the the biggest obstacles producers have is call reluctance. So you can really focus on getting them to knock on doors as opposed to the phones. You know, some people hate the phones, love cold calling. Some people hate cold calling, love the phones. Some people hate both. Some people love both. But in all reality, in my experience, I've seen more people shy away from picking up the phone and calling it as opposed to just walking in and having a conversation, which kind of blows my mind a little bit because you'd think they'd be more comfortable not having to look somebody in the face, but whatever. Um, but, you know, you've got killing commercials, so you can bring producers in and give them the one thing that a lot of agencies don't have, which is training, you know, training yeah. and development and a support structure. You've got the dialer. Now they can focus on really honing in their marketing drop game and having the absolute best first meetings they could possibly have. That part is taken away from them. And I don't view it for me. I don't view that as an automatic. I'm not just going to automatically hand the producer the appointments from the appointment setter. That's a nice to have, right? So you got to be getting your marketing drops in and getting your reps in. And when you do, then we're going to make sure the dialer's sprinkling some calls and appointments in for you too. But if you're going to sit back and not cold call marketing drop or do the things you're supposed to do, I'm not going to just sit here and hand you with, with leads. You know, I'm not going to give you appointments that an appointment setter made for you because you're lazy and not doing the other part. I'm having that appointment setter book so that you can get out and do that other part and not have to juggle both because yeah. we found, I don't know what your person's dialing, but it's not, it's not like two or 300 a day. It's a hundred to 150 yeah. calls a day. And right now they're having some conversations. So it's not as many calls as what it normally would be. It's, it's, it's probably down in that 70 to 75 range. You know, he's getting about 20, 20, 25, 30 calls a day less, but he's booking one to two middle market appointments from that. And his list starts at 25,000 in revenue. So, you know, unlike unlike you, and I, I absolutely agree with where your threshold is. I think that's where it should be for where you are at in your agency life right now. But for where we're at, we can, you know, and the other thing is geographic circumstance. Obviously, our premiums are much higher here. But, yeah. you know, we can we can have him if he's booking twenty five to fifty thousand dollars in revenue opportunity every day. I can't ask for anything more than that, man. I mean, that's that's a solid month if he keeps those numbers up. And there are days that go by where he doesn't get one, but typically he gets two instead of one, and we're going to average out. One a day is 25 appointments a month, man. Like, that's it. That's all you have to ask for. And I think that when you when you frame it as, an, well, he gets us an appointment a day, people are like, eh, that's not really that great. When you say, yeah, we're getting about 25 middle market appointments that are qualified at 25,000 total account revenue and up, that's a different story. I mean, I don't at 25 appointments a month, you're running an appointment every day at some point, you know, because or a couple a day, which now 
That's why you have the dialer because you're going to have to have that person canvassing for you and you're going to schedule your marketing drops around wherever those appointments are as opposed to where you may normally go. So just a lot of moving pieces to put together. What have we missed, man, is we're wrapping up because I want to make sure we're respectful of your time and I got to be off. Um, I've got to be off of here because I'm actually jumping on the Collabcast podcast with Dave Jackson at at noon. So I, okay. I get to be on the other side of the mic for a little bit. What have we missed? What do you want anybody to know that we haven't talked about? Yeah, oh man, I think we've hit a lot of it. I just, I mean, my, my big kick that I've been on this year and you, you hit on it early. We've hit on it through this is just don't be afraid to make those investments in yourself and your business. It, it might be scary cutting checks, but if you go hundred percent commit all into it, trust the process You'll see the ROI on it. You know, I think here's the thing, man. If you're afraid to hire somebody to free your time up so that you can close and you're apprehensive about that, are those people apprehensive about the person they're hiring or are they apprehensive about their own ability to close? Because I can tell you, if I have all the time in the world to do nothing but run appointments and close deals, 1,000%, I'm going to do that. Every single time I will always bet on myself. I'm not going to bet on anybody else before I bet on me. So it's interesting to me because I feel like with some people, it may be a mental thing where they're just worried that now all of a sudden they're going to get all these appointments and not be able to do anything with them. I will attest to that 100%. And I don't know if it was so much of I'm going to get all these appointments and not know how to do anything with them, but it took a while. This I've been wildly successful in almost anything I've done, whether it be, you know, high school and college baseball, uh, any other positions I've had, pretty much anything in my life I've succeeded at. And coming into this was a completely different animal for me. I don't know what it was that had my confidence level at hey, such this a industry low will, level yeah. coming into It'll this. It'll kick you in the teeth, man. It'll kick you in the teeth in a hurry. But it's taken a while for me to get my feet underneath me. And that was a big deal. But another thing that my business coach said is, is taking that leap and making that investment and knowing that you've got to cut payroll checks every Friday is going to do one of two things. It's either going to make you run and tuck your tail and hide and you're going to fail or you're going to know I've got to cut that check on Friday. I better get out and bust my ass and make some money today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, listen, man, I know that people will have questions as they always do. How do they get a hold of you? Uh, email me Cody at primersconsurance.com. Connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, X, TikTok, every stinking word that I'm posting content. Thanks to my good friend, David Carruthers. <laughs> At a boy, man. At a boy. Well, listen, I appreciate you taking time to be with us today, man. We're going to turn and burn on this bad boy. This thing's going up on Monday. So Grayson and our media team is going to be getting after it here this afternoon to make sure all the promos and stuff are ready to go out. So I don't know that you'll have ever seen a podcast episode turned around so fast. <laughs> well, uh, looking forward to hearing it, man. Appreciate you having me on. A lot of fun. Absolutely. Absolutely, brother. Have a good one. Grayson, thanks for stepping in and co-hosting for Kyle. He appreciates it, whether he tells you or not. I know he does it deep down in his heart. But as we always say, he's an 80-year-old man in a 35-year-old body, so you're likely not to hear that from him. But everybody else, we'll catch you next time. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. 
You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. <laughs>